Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you're here. I'm excited to be here, and I hope you are also. Right now, we have family that's meeting out at Stone Canyon, as well as those who will be watching later online. So if you would, put your hands together. Welcome them into our services today. Well, the other day I came across this story I found online that I wanted to share with you. I thought it was very appropriate for the series we're in right now, so pay careful attention to what this story said. After having dug to a depth of 10 feet last year, New York scientists found traces of copper wire dating back 100 years and came to the conclusion that their ancestors already had an advanced telephone network more than 100 years ago. Not to be outdone by the New Yorkers, in the weeks that followed, a Los Angeles, California archaeologist dug to a depth of 20 feet, and shortly after, a story in the LA Times read, California archaeologists, after finding 150-year-old copper wire, have concluded that their ancestors already had an advanced high-tech communications network 50 years earlier than the New Yorkers. One week later, a local newspaper in Russell Springs, Kentucky, close to where I'm from, by the way, in Russell Springs, Kentucky, reported the following. After digging as deep as 30 feet in his pasture near the community of Eli, Bubba, a self-proclaimed redneck, reported that he found absolutely nothing. Bubba has therefore concluded that 200 years ago, Kentucky had already gone wireless. It'll take some of y'all a second. Don't mess with Kentucky. That's the moral of that story, all right? We're in this series called Wireless, which is a study on prayer. And last week, we kicked this series off by saying, if you struggle with having a healthy prayer life, you're not alone. At times, we all struggle uh, with having a healthy prayer life. And so through this study, we hope that we will realize that prayer is not just an important thing or a good thing, but that it will be something that is essential to our lives and that we will use in the way God wants us to use it. But that's not always how we approach prayer. We don't always approach prayer as if it's something essential to who we are. In fact, a lot of times we treat prayer more like a, how we treat a fire extinguisher or a church pew. Now, if you were here last week, you heard this illustration. You know, what are fire extinguishers good for? They're good for an emergency situation, right? They're good to have around, but we only use them during a crisis. When things get desperate enough, when things get bad enough, then we use a fire extinguisher. And sometimes that's how we treat prayer. Prayer's a good thing. We want to keep it around, but we only use it during the most desperate situations. We only use it during a crisis moment. If we're not treating prayer like a fire extinguisher, then we're treating it like a church pew. And look at this church pew. It's nice. It's ornate. It looks good. But we only sit in a church pew on certain occasions, right? In certain religious or ceremonial context. I mean, if we come to church on Sunday morning, we expect to sit in a church pew. If we go to a funeral or a wedding or maybe a special holiday service, we expect to sit in a church pew. And that's sometimes how we treat prayer. Prayer is a good thing, but we only use it in certain ceremonial religious context, but we don't use it all the time. When in all reality, what God wants us to do is approach prayer Kind of like how we approach a cell phone. He wants us to treat prayer how we treat our cell phones. Because whether you like it or not, we keep our cell phones with us all the time. We take them with us everywhere and we use them everywhere. So whether we're in our cars or we're at work or in our homes or over at a friend's house or at school or here in church, we have our phones on us. We even put our phones by our bedside before we go to bed to charge up so that when we wake up, our phones are there waiting for us. And I believe that 
that's how God wants us to treat prayer. It's a gift, it's a tool, it's an instrument he's given us that he wants us to use all the time. That's why in Ephesians 6.18 it says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And over in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 it says, pray without ceasing. Prayer isn't a spiritual tool we just use on occasion. It's supposed to be part of our lifestyle, part of who we are. And last Sunday I said that if we were as passionate about prayer as we are our cell phones, carrying our cell phones, our lives would look radically different and the lives of people around us would look radically, would look radically different. But even though we're supposed to be more passionate about prayer, treat it like our cell phones, we don't always do that. And after I taught on that very subject last week, treating prayer like we treat our cell phones, those words came back to haunt me. Because Monday evening, my family, we were out in our driveway and we were playing basketball. Alice got a new basketball goal for his birthday. We were out playing basketball as a family and Allison pulled out her iPhone to take some pictures of us playing ball. And after she was finished, she laid her phone on top of my car, which was parked in our garage. And she forgot about it I didn't know that she left it on top of the car so we played for like another half an hour or so and then I remembered I need to run to Sam's Club before it closed to get a couple things for the next day so I got in my car I took off she forgot she left her phone on top of my car I didn't know it was up there and I got all the way to Sam's and I'm getting the stuff I need when all of a sudden my phone in my pocket rang and I pulled it out, and it's Allison's number. And so I answered it, figuring, she, uh, figuring she would say something like, hey, would you also pick up this, or make sure you get this too, because that happens a lot. And so I answered it, but on the other end of the line, it was a male voice. And I thought, this is kind of weird. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. I said, who is this dude that's on my wife's phone? You know, what's going on? So I was like, who is this? And they said, this is so-and-so. And I didn't recognize the name. I was like okay, why do you have my wife's phone? And he goes, I go to your church. And I'm thinking in my head, that's great, but why do you have my wife's phone? And he goes, well, my family, we were out and we found this phone on the side of the road. And so we, we looked at it and we saw your picture on it and we knew it belonged to either you or your wife. So I'm just letting you know we have it if you want to come pick it up. And I was like, oh yeah, sure, thanks. I appreciate that. And I wasn't sure exactly um, how Allison had lost it. I thought maybe they'd gone for a walk after I left the house or something. And so I said, just text me your address and I'll come over and get it. So he did, and I finished checking out at Sam's, and I'm leaving the store, and I see Allison and the kids walking in. She had remembered what she had done, and so she comes to the Sam's Club in a panic, and, Chad, do you have my phone? I was like, no, but it's okay. Somebody else found it, and she had this horrible look on her face because she knew if they found it, that meant it went flying off the top of my car, and so she said, it's probably shattered. It's broke. I said, well, I'll go pick it up, and I'll see, and I did, and when I went to get the phone, this is what it looked like. Take a look at this picture on the screen. It was shattered, and I wasn't sure sure because they found it you know alongside the road if somebody had run over it or what so I figured there was probably internal damage and I just knew the whole way home as I'm going to see um, Allison and tell her I'm thinking that we're gonna have to buy a new phone so we're gonna be out 800 bucks or a thousand dollars for a new iPhone and so I'm thinking we would had budget for this and you know all those thoughts run through your mind so I get home I'm talking to her and she's kind of down because uh, she did this and so we're talking about how much money it's gonna cost and Alex my little five-year-old he came up to me and he goes daddy if mommy really needs a new phone, you can take some money out of my piggy bank if you want to to pay for a new phone. And I looked at him, I thought, oh, buddy, that is so sweet. I appreciate that. That means a lot. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to worry about that. I said, we can take care of it. And he looked at me, he goes, good, because I really didn't want to give it to you. <laughs> Smart kid, you know. 
Well, come to find out, we called the Apple store the next morning. They said they could probably fix it. And they said, you can, you know, drop it off or come and wait because we take walk-ins. Or you can make an appointment. And I was like, well, I'll just make an appointment. That way I don't have to wait. And I said, when's your next open appointment? This was Tuesday morning. And they said, our next open appointment is not until Saturday afternoon. And I thought, that long? You don't have any open appointments until Saturday afternoon? And the guy said to me on the phone, sir... A lot of people break their phones these days. And so I told that to Allison, and that made her feel so much better. Now, we ended up just taking it there, and we waited, and we got it fixed before Saturday. But still, that news made her feel so much better because she wasn't the only one. She wasn't alone in this. A lot of people had, for some reason or another, allowed their phone to be shattered and needed to be fixed. And the fact there were other people in the same boat as her, it brought her some comfort. And so today, I want to bring you guys some comfort. If you're struggling with prayer, if prayer is something that you sometimes uh, wonder if you're doing it right or maybe you think I could do this better, if you feel like your prayer life isn't as healthy as it should be, you're not alone. And if we're being transparent today, if we're being real, we all struggle with prayer at times. We all have moments in our lives where we think, you know, my prayer life isn't exactly what it should be. And if that's what you're thinking right now, you're in good company. Because even Jesus' disciples, his first followers, his closest followers, who grew up in a culture that emphasized prayer, who walked and talked with Jesus, even those guys struggle with prayer. And on one occasion after Jesus finished this lengthy time of prayer before his heavenly Father, the disciples turned to him in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. These were men that Jesus had handpicked to follow him. These were men who spent night and day with Jesus, and yet what are they acknowledging here? Uh, Jesus, our prayer lives aren't what they should be. When we listen to you pray, we know there's something missing. Can you teach us how to pray? And so you know what Jesus does? He teaches his disciples how to pray. And I want to point that out because sometimes people will say things like, well, you really can't be taught how to pray. Prayer is a gift from God, so God just kind of gives you the ability to pray. I don't believe that. I think probably prayer comes easier to some people than others, but Jesus taught his disciples to pray, so that means prayer can be taught. And how did he teach his disciples? By giving them a model for prayer. And the full version of this model for prayer is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And if you've been in church at all or around church, you've probably heard these words before. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven... How would be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lean us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Now like I said, if you've spent any time in church or around church, you've probably heard those words before. And typically when we hear them is when a congregation like this one recites it out loud together. And there's nothing wrong with reciting this prayer. I think there's power any time that God's word is spoken out loud. There's nothing wrong with reciting it out loud. But I think there's much more to this prayer. Because when Jesus said these words, he wasn't giving us a script to follow. But he was giving us a model to follow. Jesus intended this model for prayer to be a conversation starter. So if you have trouble with prayer, it, here's a guide. Here's some help. Here's a good place to start. 
And in the past, I've had the opportunity to teach kids and students about how to pray. And so when I've done that, I've actually broke down the elements of this model prayer into an acronym to help them pray because a lot of people struggle with prayer. And what I've discovered is adults actually like this acronym as well. If you have trouble getting your prayers started, use this acronym and it's the word PRAY, P-R-A-Y, and it stands for this, and it's based on the elements of the model prayer. First of all, P, praise and acknowledge our Father. What does Jesus do when he starts off the model prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So right off the bat, just acknowledge God. Praise him for who he is. Second, R, repent of your sin. Jesus says in the model prayer, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So R, repent of your sins. A, ask for help, ask for guidance, ask for assistance in life. This is when we petition God for things. And Jesus does this in the model prayer. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lean us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then why, the last thing, yield to God's will. Remember what Jesus says in this model for prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now when Jesus says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this isn't meant to be just a passive declaration. We're not supposed to say, okay God, whatever happens in this life is your will and we just got to go along with it. That's not what Jesus is telling us to do here. What he's saying is we want your will to be our will. God, we want you to come in and work in us and work in whatever way you want to, whatever activity you want to do in our lives, we're on board with, we are all in. God, whatever you want to do through me, do it, your will be done. And I don't know if this acronym PRAY helps you or not. I mean, it might not, you may be fine without it. But if it does, I think it's a pretty good place to start. But whether this acronym helps you, I believe that the model prayer did help the early disciples because these men who as we read the new testament what we discover is they went from being men who didn't know how to pray to men who changed the world through prayer and let me explain what i mean in the first few decades of the of the church or of jesus followers we see that the group of disciples grew from 12 disciples the original 12 disciples to 120 people meeting in the upper room to 3,000 followers of jesus on the day the church began the day of pentecost to 5,000 followers just a little bit later and by the end of the book of acts jesus is being preached all over the world in fact, historians estimate that within the first 200 years of the church's existence, that some 10 million people came to know Jesus as Lord. I mean, that is phenomenal growth. But this growth didn't happen because it was easy to follow Jesus or because there wasn't any pressure or persecution. No, this growth happened in spite of persecution because historians also estimate that of that 10 million that originally followed Jesus in the first uh, 200 years of the church, 3 million of that 10 million were killed for their faith, were martyred. I mean, the earliest Christians experienced heavy, heavy persecution and yet, even with all that persecution, the church continued to grow and really impact the entire world. And I think this happened because these early Christians were receiving power outside of themselves. And they were receiving this power through prayer. I believe the early church was a dangerous church, meaning they were posing a very real threat to the status quo of their culture. They were a dangerous church because they were a praying church. And we find an example of this in Acts chapter 4. 
See, in Acts chapter 4, two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, they're arrested for telling people about Jesus in the temple courts. And so they're put on trial before the Sanhedrin, this governing body, governing council of Jewish leaders. And they're put on trial, and this is what the Sanhedrin tells Peter and John after they've been arrested. Acts 4.18 says, Then they, the Sanhedrin, called them, Peter and John, in again, and commanded them. They ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now my question is, how would you have reacted if you were in Peter and John's shoes? How would you have reacted if you were part of the first century church and you heard that the Sanhedrin is telling you, you can't talk about Jesus anymore? How would you have reacted? See, what would happen if all of a sudden those doors opened up in the back and the government came in here, government officials came in here, they stood on this stage and they said, you gotta cease, you gotta stop. You can no longer publicly talk about Jesus. And if you do, there's going to be severe punishment. See, the Sanhedrin, they meant business. This was the same governing body that just a little while prior to this moment had had Jesus arrested and turned over to the Romans for execution. This is the same governing body that a few weeks from now will have Stephen, an early leader in the church, arrested and killed on the spot. This is the same group that will hire Saul of Tarsus to go out and throw Christians in prison and arrest them. This group had power and authority. This warning, it was a serious warning. They were telling these early disciples, you stop telling people about Jesus or else. What would happen if government officials came in today and said, you all stop publicly talking about Jesus or we're going to remove you from your families, we're going to arrest you, you may even be killed for doing so. How would we have responded? How would we react? Well, let's look at how the first church reacted. Acts 4 verse 23 says, on their release, after Peter and John were released, they went back to their own people, meaning the church, not to the Jewish leadership, but to their own people, the church, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they, the church, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. How did these early Christians respond to the threats of the Sanhedrin? They prayed, and they didn't just pray, they prayed big. And their prayer is recorded in Acts 4, verse 24. Read along with me if you would. This is what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants, us, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now I want you to notice something. I want you to notice what these early Christians did not pray for. They did not pray to escape persecution. You know, sometimes we sing songs that talk about escaping persecution. And that's what we pray for, for all of our troubles just go away, right? 
The early church didn't pray for a way out. They didn't pray for their persecution to be removed. They didn't pray for their persecutors to be punished or taken care of. They also didn't pray for them to even receive comfort while they were being persecuted. No, look again at what they prayed for. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants, enable us to, us to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't pray for a way out, but they prayed for boldness. Boldness to keep doing what they're doing, to keep doing what has just caused them to get in severe trouble. They prayed for boldness so that if persecution had to come, may God use it so that people could come to know his son. And I think because they prayed that prayer, that's why we see Acts 6-7 saying that the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. See, persecution and pressure against the church didn't stop because of their prayer. In fact, after their prayer, persecution was amplified. It grew. It got even worse. And yet the church grew at an even faster rate, at a phenomenal rate, even to the point that a large number of priests, the Jewish religious leaders, are coming to Jesus. These same guys who are probably persecuting the church were coming to know Jesus as Lord. Why was all this happening? Why did this growth continue even though persecution continued to grow as well? Because the early church dared to pray big, audacious, risky, dangerous prayers of faith. And isn't that exactly what Jesus taught them to do? Remember what I said earlier when we looked at the model for prayer in Matthew chapter 6? Remember what Jesus, remember this example that Jesus gave them in Matthew 6 verse 10? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, you need to make a passive declaration that, okay, God, whatever happens, it's just your will. That's not what he's saying. Pray for God to work in your life in such a way that he shakes things up, that your will becomes, that his will becomes your will, that God transforms you and changes you to the point that you want his reign to break into this world through your life. And that means God's going to ask you to do some risky, dangerous stuff, but you pray for it because you want His will to be done through you. And I wonder if sometimes in the church today, if the reason why the church isn't growing like it should be, or maybe we don't have the influence in our culture like we should, is because sometimes our prayers are too safe, too small, too limited. According to legend, there was once this world-renowned, famous pro golfer who was admired by the king of Saudi Arabia. And so the king of Saudi Arabia asked this golfer if he would come and play some golf with him, spend a week with him and play some golf. And so this pro golfer agreed and he spent the week with the king and they had a great time, really enjoyed one another's company. And at the end of the week, the king of Saudi Arabia came to this pro golfer and said, I want to give you a gift for coming here and playing golf with me all week. And the pro was just like, no, you don't need to give me anything. I mean, you've treated me like royalty and all this food you give me, the accommodations, you paid for the flight over here and I've got to play on some awesome courses. You don't have to give me anything. I've just enjoyed the week. And the king insisted, no, no, I need to give you something. You just name it. I'll give you anything for my kingdom. Just name it. And the pro golfer's like, no, 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 listen, I'm fine. I don't need anything at all. This 
is, your hospitality has been enough. And the king said, I will not let you leave my country until you name a gift that I can give you. And so the pro golfer said, well, okay, then if you insist, just give me your favorite golf club. And the king said, okay, it's done. So the very next morning, there was a knock on this pro golfer's door, and there was one of the king's servants standing there with a deed to a 50-acre golf club. Now, I'm pretty sure that story's not true. That's why I said there's a legend. But even though it may not be true, the point is still valid. When you're in the presence of the king, don't think too small. Several years ago, I became convicted about my own prayer life. I realized that I wasn't praying bold, difference-making prayers. As I examined my prayer life, I saw that most of my prayers were vague in nature, generic, cookie-cutter, plastic, even boring. They were what you might call fortune cookie prayers. Now, one of my favorite parts about going to an Asian or a Chinese restaurant is what you get at the end. The fortune cookie, right? I don't eat a whole lot of them anymore, but I used to really like them. And I didn't like them because they were the best dessert or the best cookies. I like them because I enjoyed reading my fortune. Now, let me just clarify. Let me just say, I do not believe that there's any magic or supernatural power in a fortune cookie, okay? I do not believe that these cookies have the ability to really predict you are my future, okay? So don't, don't worry about that. But they're just fun, you know? And you can play some fun games with them, which I'm not going to talk about right now. But still, you can play some fun games with them. I, I like, you know, uh, what, I like opening up a fortune cookie. And so this morning, I want to open up this fortune cookie, and it'll be First Church's fortune, okay? Are you ready? Let's see what it says. Uh, The prospect of a thrilling time is ahead. Now, I have no idea what that means, honestly. The prospect of a thrilling time is ahead, but you know, that kind of makes my point. Fortune cookies, as fun as they may be, They're so generic in nature. They really don't say anything specific. They can be applied to anyone in any situation, and they know that. And so really, they don't say anything meaningful, and we can take them however in the world we want to take them. And honestly, that's how I used to pray. I used to pray in such a vague, unspecific way. Most of my prayers were just kind of cliches and sayings I'd heard other people say. I really didn't pray any difference-making prayers. Now, every now and then, I might pray for something more specific, but really it was more for my own personal comfort than it was to change anything in God's world. And if it's true that the prayers we pray reflect our picture of God, based on my prayer life, my picture of God was pretty small. So from that time on, I've been convicted. And guys, I just want to let you know, I am tired of praying boring prayers. I'm tired of praying safe, predictable, cookie-cutter, plastic prayers, asking for things that really I can accomplish within my own abilities and strength. Now let me issue a caution here. I'm not saying that God isn't interested in the most minute details of my life or your life. He is. But I'm ready to start praying bold, difference-making prayers like the early church did. I've come to the point where I'm tired of praying prayers that even if God answered every single thing I asked for just in the way I asked for it, then it wouldn't make much of a difference in the world. Oh, it might make a little difference in my world, but not in His world. And I wonder if this is the conviction that the church and our culture needs to come to today. I wonder if our prayers reflect such minuscule faith that God at times isn't left asking, that's it? 
You have an audience with the God who holds the cosmos in his hands, who created everything, who loves you, who is with you, who wants to work within you. And that's it? That's all you think I'm capable of doing? Now again, to avoid any confusion, please understand, I'm in no way suggesting that God is a genie in a bottle that if we just wish big enough, then God will give us what we wish. God is not some marionette puppet that we can control. I'm not endorsing in any way a name it and claim it approach to prayer, approach to prayer because our purpose in prayer is not to tell God what to do. No, what I'm asking as a church today is it time for us to start praying like we serve a big and capable God because we do and he is. The prayers we pray reflect how big we think God is and what we believe he's capable of doing. And so I wanna challenge our church today I want to challenge our church to start praying prayers where we ask God to work in cosmic, extraordinary, supernatural ways. And so let me ask you, based on your own prayer life, how big is your God? Based on all the prayers you prayed last week, for example, how big is your God? If God responded to every single prayer you offered last week just in the way you want him to, how would that change your household? How would that change your community? How would that change the 918? How would that change the state that we live in, the country we live in, the world we live in? Who would have been introduced to his son for the very first time because of a prayer you prayed? See, the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus, they understood that they served a big and extraordinary God. And as we study their example, we discover The church has the potential of changing the world when we pray prayers that match up with who God is and what he's capable of doing. So as we close today, what I want to do is give you three questions, three questions that you can ask in your own prayer life to make sure that you're not just praying generic, boring, cookie-cutter prayers. So I want you to ask these as you pray. And the first question is this. Do you ever underestimate or overlook what God is capable of doing? See, more times than I like to admit, I pray prayers that I could possibly orchestrate or accomplish on my own. But I believe that God wants us to pray prayers that are so big that when they are answered, He is the only one that can get credit for them. In Acts 4, verse 13, the Sanhedrin, when Peter and John appeared before them, the Sanhedrin refers to Peter and John as unschooled, ordinary men. Now, do you know what that literally means in Greek? That phrase, unschooled, ordinary men, in Greek literally means grammarless idiots. That's what the Sanhedrin called Peter and John. These great men of faith, they refer to them as grammarless idiots. I kid you not. They didn't have any respect for them whatsoever. Peter and John didn't impact the world for the sake of Christ because they were especially gifted men. No, Peter and John changed the world because, that, because they realized they were small, ordinary men who believed in a big, extraordinary God. And my question is, do you? The second question that I want you to ask is, are you more focused on your own personal gain or God's glory? I do not believe there's a magic formula to prayer, but I do believe motivation matters. So remember back in Acts chapter 4, that prayer that we read from the first church? In Acts chapter 4, if you will remember, they didn't pray for their persecution to be removed. They didn't pray for their own personal comforts. What do they pray for? They pray for boldness to continue to carry out God's will. Their focus wasn't their own personal comfort or personal gain. 
but it was God's glory. And when you pray, what are you more focused on? Your own personal gain, your own personal satisfaction, or the glory of God? And the third question I want you to ask is this, do you pray with a holy sense of expectation and anticipation? In other words, do you pray as if you're ready for God to move? As if you're ready for God to actually do something because of the prayer you just lifted up? So that means if you're praying for that neighbor or coworker or family member to come to know Jesus, don't be surprised when your past with that neighbor or coworker or whoever start to cross in a way like they haven't in the past. Don't be surprised if they come to you and want to have a serious conversation. They've never wanted to do that before. Don't be surprised if, you get, if you're placed around them more often than you have been in the past. Because if you're praying for something to happen in that person's life, be ready for God to give you open doors to use you so that you might be the instrument he uses to change their lives. So if you're praying for our church, don't be surprised when all of a sudden somebody comes up to you and says, hey, we need a volunteer in this area of ministry or we need your support or we need you to join this team or we want you to help out in this Love 918 opportunity. Don't be surprised when people come to you and say, hey, why don't you help out the work of our church? If you're praying for our church, be ready for God to open up a door of opportunity for you to serve. We had an elders meeting this past Thursday night and we were talking about some of this same stuff and one of our elders spoke up and he said, you know, if you pray for rain, then you better carry an umbrella. And I like that a lot. I think that's true. We need to be ready and, be, and we need to be praying as if we really believe God is capable of doing what we're asking him to do. Because, you know, I have this ongoing thought. I have this ongoing thought that one day I will die and go to heaven and as I'm touring the heavenly realm, I will come upon this heavenly library. And I'll look around and see all these volumes of books. And as I'm scanning the different titles of the books, I will see this one shelf, and it's a whole shelf full of books that, that say, The Life and Service of Chad Broadus. And I think, well, that's cool. I mean, here's a record of all the things I did serving Jesus while I was on the earth. And so I pull off one of the books and kind of looking at a yearbook. Let's see everything that happened. And I'm reading through this book. I'm thinking, wait a second. I didn't do that, and I didn't do that, and well, that wasn't me. And I'm scanning through this book. I'm thinking, I didn't do any of this stuff. I check the spine again, and there it says, the life and service of Chad Broadus. I think, what's going on? And just then Jesus walks up, and I said, Jesus, I didn't do any of this stuff. He said, I know. That right there, that's not a record of the things you did while on earth. That's what we wanted you to do. That's what you had the potential of doing if you just would have asked. If you just would have turned your life over to us. If you just would have asked, that's what you had the potential of doing. But instead, this is the actual record of your life. This pamphlet right here, this is what you did for us. This is what you did. This is what you could have done if you just would have asked. And honestly, I hope the case is not the same for our church. I hope that one day we don't see a volume of books that says the life and ministry of First Church Northeast Oklahoma and we're told, no, that's what God wanted us to do. That's what we could have done if we would have asked. But instead this, this pamphlet is the history of our church. Guys, I'm tired of praying boring, safe, prayers and that's why we want to challenge our church as a whole 
we're going to start a seven-day prayer challenge, which we want everybody to be a part of. And over the next seven days, we want to challenge you at 918 in the morning and the evening. Remember, we're loving the 918, right? At 918 in the morning and the evening, we want to challenge you to pray for something specific when it comes to the ministry of our church. And so at 918 on our social media forums, uh, Facebook, Instagram, we're going to have a prayer theme pop up for you to pray for. And so you can look that up. If you can't do it right at 918, that's okay. You can do it whenever. But no, if you're doing it at 918, you've got 1,000 under members of your church family that are doing it at the same time. It will also be, a, be made available through our church app, so you'll get notifications through it if you want to look for it there. And if you don't have that type of technology, you can stop by the hub on the way out the door. We've got printed copies of those prayer themes, so you can pick one up if you want to but we want our entire church praying for specific things because we're getting ready to enter our fall season we're gonna have a new sermon series start next week and it's going to be an exciting sermon series i i challenge you to invite friends to this series because this is going to be a life-changing series it's going to be a powerful series invite your friends and your neighbors your family members to come so pray for that series we've got our fall kickoff coming our fall programming is starting up our wednesday night programming is starting up groups are starting up all this stuff is happening we want our church praying for god to do something great because guys, I believe with all of my heart that God has huge plans in store for our church, for First Church. I believe God, God wants to work in us and through us in ways like he never has in the past. I believe that our best days are ahead. But in order for that to happen, we've got to be a praying church. Because a praying church is a dangerous church. And we need to remember the same God who flooded the earth, who parted the Red Sea, who knocked down the walls of Jericho, who defeated the giant, who stopped the sun, who fed the multitudes, who walked on water, who healed the lame, the blind, the deaf, the mute, who defeated death and rose again. That same God is on our side and he's listening to our prayers. When you have an audience with the king, don't think too small. Let's pray prayers that match up with who our God is and what we believe he's capable of doing. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today. And Father, we want to be a people that move beyond small, cookie-cutter, safe prayers who actually access your power through prayer. Because you're the same God who shook the foundations of the early church in Acts chapter 4 when they prayed to you. And we believe you can shake us up today as well. We believe there are lives throughout the 918 that can be changed if you'll just empower us and if we'll just listen to what you want us to do. So Father, I pray that you use our church in ways like you never have before. And I pray that we have a willing spirit ready to follow you no matter the cost, no matter the risk, no matter how dangerous it may seem. And Father, I also pray another big prayer today. If there's anybody who's listening to this message today who doesn't know your son, Father, I pray they will either come to seek him today or you'll start working their lives in such a way where they will be thinking about what he can offer them and they can be moving towards life with him so that they can experience life as you intended it to be lived. Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus. He is our king. 
And it's through his powerful name I pray. Amen.